namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa bhutang dhammang sanghang namasami Well, today is the full moon day, uh, end of October, October 31st. And uh, so this, uh, this day in our Buddhist calendar marks uh, in Thailand the end of 2563. Tomorrow will be the beginning of uh, 2564. Sri Lanka, the year, uh, it's a, a year different, so this is the end of 2564. This is also called the uh, uh, the uh, the Katika month, the last month of the rains season when we have the Katina festivals, and uh, the uh, this sort of is a um, a particular day that we find in the uh, in the suttas where the the Buddha gave a, a very um, significant teaching uh, in the uh, uh, the Majjhima Nikaya middle length discourses. Uh, the uh, uh, sutta called the Anapanasati Sutta, the Sutta on Mindfulness of Breathing, it describes how um, at the end of one particular rains retreat, uh, it was uh, the full moon of, uh, of October, uh, then the, the Buddha makes a comment that the, the assembly was very, uh, very energetic. There was a lot of great beings gathered together in the Sangha. There was a lot of, um, say, uh, keen focus on Dhamma practice, a lot of progress being made. And so the Buddha said that he would carry on uh, staying in that place and uh, would continue teaching and practicing together with the Sangha there. So that for, for that, the uh, the next month, all the way through to, to this full moon, it's also called the Komudi full moon. Komudi means the, the white lotuses. This is the time of the year of the the blooming of the white lotus. So all the way through for, for that month, then the, the Buddha and the, the Sangha that was gathered there practiced very very diligently in a very uh, committed and, and fruitful way. And as the Buddha uh, made the comment, I am pleased with the progress uh, of the Sangha. And then on that, uh, that Kamudi full moon day, this uh, full moon of... Uh, of November, then he gave this uh, particular teaching on mindfulness of breathing, the Anapana Sati Sutta. So, although in many many places in the teachings he talks about mindfulness of breathing and and praises its qualities, this particular Sutta, Sutta 118, in the middle length discourses, that this is the the main place where he spells out the nature and characteristics, the methodology uh, of uh, mindfulness of breathing. So uh, I often think this is a good opportunity to, to talk about that, offer some reflections on this and to encourage uh, uh, investigation, understanding, um, exploration of, the, of this particular form of uh, meditation practice. I think in in some uh, parts of the southern Buddhist world, this is even called Anapanasati Day. They actually, make a, a whole sort of festival out of uh, 
the mindfulness of breathing on account of this this particular sutta. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I have uh, got a, a a vague memory of um, uh, there being uh, Anapanasati days being uh, celebrated in various parts of the the Buddhist world on, on this uh, particular occasion, the full moon that marks the end of of the year. One of the things, if you read the Anapanasati Sutta, if you uh, look at it, study it, then you see that it's very closely related to the teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness. That uh, they, uh, the two are really, uh, I would say, they're they're a pair. They're they're very very closely related, and um, and when the Buddha goes through the the characteristics, the qualities of mindfulness of breathing, then he he does it initially in the format of the the four foundations of mindfulness, and so uh, these are. Um, as people probably know, those gathered here at Amravati, um, here in the temple and around the other places in the on the Amrava, Amravati site, and then those who are watching, listening to this uh, later on in other places around the world. Uh, probably most of the people who are listening in and watching are familiar with the, the four foundations of mindfulness or these four frames of reference, as Ajahn Tanisaro calls them. Uh, and these are, uh, say, the establishment the, the way that mindfulness is most fully and completely comprehensively established and the buddha divides it into these four areas of experience so uh, the kaya um, anupassana kaya is the body so mindfulness of the body and various different aspects and dimensions of uh, developing mindfulness of the body the, the constituents of the body or the activities of the body uh, and um the, the uh, different ways of, of reflecting on the uh, the physical form of, of our own body and the, the physical world generally. So uh, mindfulness of the body, which is uh, very comprehensively explained. Then the second one is Vedana Nupasana, mindfulness of feeling or sensation. And uh, so this revolves around... Uh, 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 the sensations of pleasant, painful, and neutral neutral feeling. So it's a it um, is a, in a way more accurate to, to talk about sensation in English because the word feeling often includes uh, emotion and uh, and mood and uh, uh, attitude and such like. Um, and uh, in in Pali, though, the word Vedana doesn't really refer to to that area so much as it does the tactile sensations uh, really through the body. So that uh, the the world of Vedana is uh, uh, defined in terms of pleasant, painful, uh, neither painful nor pleasant. Sukha Vedana, Dukha Vedana, Adukama Sukha Vedana. Then the the third category. Uh, again, as pe- most people are probably aware, is chitta So chitta in this respect, usually jitta means the heart or the mind, um, that's how it's usually employed. And so this is referring to the qualities of mood uh, and uh, states of mind in the, in the main part. And uh, those of us who are familiar with uh, with Lumpur Sumato's teachings, we'll, uh, we'll know that uh, he spends a, a lot of time in his teachings talking about this particular area of contemplation of mind, mind states, 
and uh, the developing of mindfulness, and particularly uh, a mindfulness and a non-personalizing of mind states, and and so that this is um, they are an an area that uh, many of us have spent a, a lot of a lot of time, put a lot of attention into over the years in, in terms of dhamma practice. So in in Chitanupasana, uh, it's in a sense looking at the qualities of of mood and mind states very much in terms of, of nature uh, and there's no uh, interestingly there's no specific moral judgment there's no real labeling of, of wholesome or unwholesome or, or neutral in this um, uh, the contemplation of of mind states but rather it's uh, knowing the the agitated mind is agitated or the unagitated mind is unagitated knowing the angry mind is angry or the mind free of anger as free of anger knowing that the mind filled with lust as being filled with lust the mind free from lust as free from lust yeah. the expanded mind is expanded the contracted mind is contracted and and so forth so knowing clearly and and fully the 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 moods and states of mind without adding anything to them without judging them uh, in, in or seeing them in terms of wholesome or unwholesome and certainly not seeing them in terms of who and what we are but seeing the, the really the, their raw characteristics the raw qualities of those particular mind states uh, the fourth category uh, and i thought it'd be interesting useful to talk about this in particular this evening and you know, when I, I've talked about this sutta in the past, I've often uh, sort of dwelt upon this or made made an emphasis on this, because um, there's often a, a lot of questioning or confusion or, or doubt, debate about what the the fourth category refers to it's, uh, in the in the text. It's dhammanupassana, and so dhamma, uh, and written in Roman script with a, a small d, means a, a mind object or a mental phenomenon. Uh, Dhamma with a big D means the 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 ultimate reality or the the fundamental ordering principle of uh, the universe, the the living law that is the ordering principle of the universe. So, uh, in Dhammanupassana, and particularly if you look at the um, the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, then um, it, it can be read in a couple of ways. But oftentimes when people uh, see that in the, the Satipatthana Sutta, and the Foundations of Mindfulness, there's a question, well, how is this so different from the Jitanupasana? You know, are we talking about mind objects or mind states? You know, how are they different? What's what's the connection? Uh, uh, are they do they overlap and what, what's the distinction between them uh, how are we supposed to understand that and uh, i've been in many many dhamma discussions <laughs> sutta study sessions and uh, such like over the years where this this point has been uh, sort of explored or people are questioning or trying to trying to figure out exactly uh, how that works and, and what uh, what that means because in the the uh, contemplation of uh, mind objects, the Dhammanupassana, then it talks about the, um, the, the five hindrances, it talks about the, uh, the sense objects, it talks about the, um, the Four Noble Truths. Uh, it's got a whole range of different things that it, it speaks about. Uh, in the uh, Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta, then it, uh, it spells it out a, a little bit uh, differently. And I, and I feel that what we have in the in the Sutta on Mindfulness of Breathing, it's, uh, uh, to me, it points out very, very clearly that that fourth category, 
uh, is that of Dhamma with a big D, seeing things in terms of Dhamma, seeing things in terms of that, uh, uh, the living law that is the ordering principle of the universe, the way things work. Because uh, in the Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta, it focuses particularly upon the the attitude, the way of seeing uh, of the, the whole field of experience, um, uh, wholesome, unwholesome, neutral, but seeing it particularly in terms of impermanence. And uh, so seeing w- literally with the eye of Dhamma, seeing things in terms of Dhamma. So in my mind, that uh, indicates that the Tamanupasana is not so much seeing things just in terms of the, the mind objects, being mind objects, Dhamma with a small d, as it were, but rather it's uh, the meaning of it is principally Dhamma with a big d, seeing, seeing with the eye of Dhamma, looking at the whole field of experience in terms of that uh, fundamental uh, orderliness, uh, the, the, the law of Dhamma, the structure uh, and functioning of Dhamma itself, the, as Dhamma as the, the ultimate reality, the, the fundamental nature of things. So a simple way of reflecting on this, and what we have in the the, uh, mindf- the Sutta on mindfulness of breathing, then the uh, the Buddha talks about these four foundations of mindfulness as they are embodied in the breath. So the the looking at the breath, mindfulness of breathing, the in breath and the out breath, in terms of their physical form, the, uh, contemplating a short breath, a a, a a long breath, a deep breath, a shallow breath. The, the physicality of the breathing process. That's how you uh, develop mindfulness of breathing through the kaya, through the body, through the, the, the physical aspect. So the contemplation of the breath just through its physical qualities of the air entering and leaving the body. Uh, and that's the, the, the focus of uh, the, uh, say, the first foundation with the breath. Uh, the, so breathing, uh, and, and I find that there's a book by Larry Rosenberg on mindfulness of breathing, uh, which I would recommend if anyone is interested in a, a really helpful manual of how to use and develop mindfulness of breathing as a practice. I think I would uh, quite happily recommend Larry Rosenberg's book on this. Uh, so, and he refers to this as breathing with the body. The second category he calls breathing with with feeling. So uh, focusing on the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath in terms of the sensations that come with the the breath and the the coarse sensations or subtle sensations, the the, the feelings, the the physical uh, sensations that arise in accordance with the, the breath entering and leaving the body. Then the... the, the uh, the third category, the chitanupasana, the, uh, focusing on the, the breath in terms of the, the, the mood and the, the, the mind, qualities of mind or mind states that are associated uh, with the, the in-breath and the out-breath, looking at those uh, particular aspects of, uh, of mind states, mood, uh, uh, qualities of, of uh, mental feeling, that are uh, say, uh, brought into being uh, and can be followed with the, the in-breath and the out-breath. And so uh, Larry uses the term, the term breathing with the mind, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. I haven't looked at this book for a while, so I'm just 
remembering this off the top of my head. I can I fully confess. So <laughs> hope I'm getting this right. And then the fourth category, uh, he labels breathing with wisdom. And so that that uh, fourth category of uh, mindfulness of breathing is seeing the breath uh, principally in terms of anicca, in terms of impermanence. Uh, as the breath comes in and goes out, not focusing on whether it's an in-breath or an out-breath, but the fact that it's changing, uh, the changingness of uh, the, uh, the breathing process. And that uh, so one is looking at the in-breath in terms of arising and passing away, looking at the out-breath in terms of arising and passing away. So that that framework of, of, the, uh, of the perception of Anicca, that is really what the, uh, I would say, the, the fourth category of mindfulness of breathing is about. And uh, uh, people are very welcome to disagree with me or say, well, no, you don't understand it, Ajahn. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is not an academic exposition, but rather just my own uh, reading of it or my own understanding or impressions, because that's, that really makes sense to me. Um, and also why that would mean that you had a, a distinction between a chitanupasana, the uh, the uh, contemplation of the breath in terms of of mind states and moods, and then a contemplation uh, of the breath in terms of uh, a more say uh, radical quality of wisdom that there's a a, a change of view and a and a uh, say a particular lens a particular window that the uh, the breath is being looked at. And so that you're using the, the rhythm of the breath, the changing nature of the breath, as a way to develop the anicca sanya, the perception of change and, and uncertainty. Uh, the Buddha very highly um, praised, recommended the quality uh, of mindfulness of breathing and spoke of it as, uh, as a, uh, one of his, uh, what, what he would call his, uh, favored abiding so where he likes to uh, abide is in mindfulness of breathing just uh, the the mind of, of a buddha enjoys just being with the with the flow of the breath and so i i do recommend this as a, a practice sometimes if we read um, too many books about it or, or we get too technical it can seem a bit complicated or confusing but uh, uh, in its essence uh, mindfulness of breathing is really uh, the one of the core practices that we, we use in the, the forest tradition and uh, is uh, so accessible so uh, and so beneficial in, in in many many respects both for the support of concentration using the the focus of the attention upon the breath whether the physicality of the breath the sensations of the breath the um, the, the the mind states that go with the breath but also to support the quality of, of insight, of, of vipassana, insight meditation. Uh, this is very much a, uh, say, a tool, uh, a very, uh, very accessible tool, whereby we can cultivate uh, uh, insight. Well, just to go back to the the, the sutta itself for a, a moment to. Kind of follow that through, then uh, the Buddha says, if the he said this is how mindfulness of breathing fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. So he spells it out that that's what it's doing in, in the, that uh, sutta, and then he says uh, the four foundations of mindfulness in turn they go on to support the uh, the seven factors of enlightenment, the seven bojangas, and uh, 
and uh, then he explains how that, that works. So if we develop mindfulness of breathing in a very uh, substantial, a, a, a full and complete way, then that uh, sort of leads into the, the, the growth and development of all of the seven factors of enlightenment. And in the sutta, he explains it very much in a, in a sequence. So he says with, uh, when, when the, uh, um, the four foundations of mindfulness are developed through, the mindfulness, through mindfulness of breathing, then that mindfulness leads on to the development of Dhamma Vijaya, of the, um, the contemplation of reality, the investigation of reality. That Dhamma Vijaya um, leads on to energy, to virya, supports the, the development of energy. Uh, energy then leads on, supports the development of piti, or rapture. That rapture then leads on to the, the development, the fulfillment of pasadhi, calmness or ease, uh, relaxation. And that pasadhi, that, that relaxation, that calmness, uh, leads to the fulfillment of samadhi. And then the, the, the development, the fulfillment of samadhi leads to the, uh, the fulfillment, the, the full development of equanimity, of serenity, of, of upeka. So that's how the seven factors of enlightenment uh, are developed. And then he says, and, uh, and then the, when the seven factors of enlightenment are, are developed and, and brought to fulfillment, they lead to the, the fulfillment of, uh, of liberation and um, full knowledge and liberation, I think is the terminology. <laughs> Full knowledge uh, and uh, and liberation, and so that and then uh, he says, and how is it that the seven factors of enlightenment conduce or lead on to to that uh, those qualities of uh, of full knowledge and uh, liberation? Uh, and then he says, it's through uh, viveka, viraga, niroda, and vosaga. So viveka is a uh, is that. Uh, uh, the disentangling, or literally means re retreat or seclusion, so that the uh, the disentangling of the mind from the the world of, of perception and things, viveka viraga dispassion, a kind of coolness of heart, niroda, letting things end, the cessation of things, and then, uh, as he says, ripening in release, vosaga, abandonment and, and complete letting go, so that. Uh, this is the way that the mindfulness of breathing it develops the foundations of mindfulness, develops the seven factors of enlightenment, and then ripe, uh, ripens in full knowledge and uh, and liberation, uh, full uh, full enlightenment. So that's no small thing. <laughs> the uh, uh, the the practice of of uh, mindfulness of breathing uh, then has a, a very comprehensive and, and profound. Uh, result if if it is developed and brought into to being in a substantial and complete way, but it, it's also it, it's uh, I think interesting and helpful to to see how it uh, 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 along the way there's the encouragement towards uh, towards letting go to, and, and how that uh, full full knowledge and uh, and liberation. Uh, it's uh, it's brought about through that uh, vosaga, through abandonment, that, that letting go of the heart, completely relaxing and, and uh, so disengaging from all kinds of, of clinging and and attachment. Well, 
one of the the um, the ways that I, I like to to teach this, and particularly speaking about how to create the uh, a feeling for that, uh, say the relationship of mindfulness of breathing with concentration, and mindfulness of breathing in terms of supporting uh, insight. Uh, is uh, to say when we're, we're practicing mindfulness of breathing, then we're we're focusing on uh, the particular sensations of the breath, and wherever that might be, that's the most easy to to focus on, whether it's in the chest or in the the throat, in your nostrils. Or uh, I, I don't like to be too specific myself. I, I feel that wherever people can sense the 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 movement, the 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 rhythm, the sensations of the breath—that's uh, the place to focus. Uh, that uh, because it, it's not so much a, a particular place in the body where the sensations are felt that is important, but rather just using that, that rhythmic flow of sensation as as a focal point, as a reference point. So to support concentration, uh, quality of uh, uh, there's qualities of pasati, of uh, calmness, and samadhi concentration. Then we focus the attention on the the the, the in breath and the out breath and the, the specific qualities uh, of that. But uh, uh, when the mind is quite focused and quite steady, and we we find that we can pay attention to the 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 flow of the breath in a a, a steady way, and the mind isn't getting pulled into too many distractions and ideas of the past and the future or, or wandering off into sleepy states or into fantasies or, or, or such like, that uh, the mind can pay attention to, uh, to the present without, without drifting uh, in any substantial way, then uh, the encouragement, as, again, as, as most of us are very familiar with, the, the standard encouragement is to let go of paying attention specifically to the sensations of the breath and to allow the field of attention to be uh, more open, to be, uh, say, receptive to all of the qualities of the, the present, whether it's a, a feeling in the body, a sensation, a thought, a, an emotion, a sound that we hear, or a visual form, to, uh, in, in the development of vipassana, or insight, then we open consciously open the field of attention and then bring the, the mind to notice the, the flow uh, of uh, of uh, experience, so looking at the the process of experiencing rather than the content of experience, um, and looking at that quality of change, and then also those the qualities of uh, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and anatta, and, and not self, but I- initially uh, and primarily looking uh, and training the mind to, to notice the changingness of the field of, of experience. So with respect to mindfulness of breathing, I find that uh, you can use the quality of the breath to very actively support that uh, process of, of insight. So that uh, when we say, you know, let go of the feelings of the breath and, and just allow the attention to be to be completely open, uh, the body is still breathing. You know, the sensations of the breath are still part of the mix of, of experience, and so uh, uh, some, sometimes I find it's helpful to say encourage the the use of the 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 uh, the tone or the the structure of the breath as a way of supporting that quality of, of insight uh, in the way that. Uh, I like to do this myself, or uh, uh, to encourage others, is to uh, say 
frame it so that one is literally breathing in the content of the present moment. So as you uh, as you breathe in, you know, the physical breath is taking in uh, you know, oxygen and nitrogen and the other gases of the, the atmosphere, breathing that in. And then the body absorbs the oxygen into the blood and, and uh, re releases carbon dioxide from the blood into the lungs. And then you breathe out the nitrogen and carbon dioxide. And uh, that goes back into the general atmosphere. Uh, so that using that, that structure of the breath and the, the way that the body breathes as a format for how to uh, relate to the, f the whole field of experience. So one is consciously breathing in the, the different patterns and, and qualities of the present moment, breathing in the sound or the sensation, breathing in the memory, breathing in the, the uh, imagined uh, forms or the, the, the concepts and ideas that take, uh, take shape in a, a string of, of thought, breathing that in. Yeah, so that there's a, a receptivity taking it in, and then just as there is the 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 um, say the the absorption of oxygen into the blood, and that oxygen is what keeps the body alive. That's what fires the um, the the cells of the body and gives them energy. Uh, that uh, and is the the life source, uh, as we know. If we stop breathing, uh, then within five minutes we'd be dead. Uh, so that uh, that oxygen going into the blood it really is the life source uh, in in this way of using the the breath to support insight then that uh, uh, on a, on a uh, say a psychological level that say so that the source of the the life energy <laughs> is that quality of mindful awareness that uh, awakened awareness that knowing quality of the mind that says oh here is a sound here is a sensation in the body you know, here is a memory here is a, a a mood of sadness or a mood of irritation or a, here is a sleepy feeling or you know, here is a a, you know, a bright color uh, that's what this is and in that moment of knowing that's like the the oxygen hitting the blood and being the the, the life support for, for the vitality of the living system, uh, in exactly the same way, that quality of knowing, that's the life source for, for the mind, for the heart, for the, for the jitta. And then letting go, uh, as we breathe out the carbon dioxide, the, the waste products of the body, that which the body doesn't need and, and lets go of, releases. So then, in a similar way, there's a, a releasing, a letting go of having seen, oh, it's just a sound, or it's just a sensation, or it's just a memory, or it's just a, uh, it's just a worry, or it's just a plan. Huh. Like uh, letting go of the husk, the empty shell uh, of, uh, of an experience. So when it's... Uh, when we take something in, maybe there is, uh, we, we hear a sound or we have a feeling or a memory. Uh, the initial sensory impact, it can have a lot of solidity, solidity to it. The mind can, can give it meaning and value. It's like, oh, I've got that thing to uh, have to do next week. Or, oh, that's a painful memory. That's, a, uh, that's unpleasant to think about that. It's only when something is known fully and completely, oh, that's just a memory. Huh. It's empty nature, the sunya quality of it, the empty uh, and selfless, the uh, quality of anatta is recognized in it. The dukkha is recognized in it. The anicca is recognized in it. Through that quality of knowing, it's like, oh, it's, it's only an empty sankara, it's an empty formation, that's all.
then it's uh, released, it's relinquished. It's just like the carbon dioxide is released, relinquished from the body. Then, the, in the same way, the the uh, the that formation, a sound, a thought, a feeling, a memory, an idea, a mood, a, a plan, a concept, an opinion, <laughs> a, a hope, a regret, uh, whatever it might be, uh, it's known. And it's like uh, it's 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 released, like the carbon dioxide and the nitrogen we we breathe out. Uh, then uh, it's uh, in exactly the, the same way. It's it's let go of. There's there's no thing to to own there. There's no thing to hold there. It's it's released and relinquished. So this I find is a, a, a skillful way of using the fabric of the breath, the structure of the breath, to directly support the, the process of, of insight. Since the body is breathing, the breath carries on and continues to, to do its thing, yeah, then without focusing upon it as a like a concentration object trying to absorb into it, but rather just using its its intrinsic, natural, ever-present quality to support that uh, taking things in, knowing them, letting them go. And that uh, just like the result of having breathed, having taken oxygen into the body, that, that then we're alive. <laughs> Uh, there, there is liveliness. There is vitality. Uh, the, the the system lives. Uh, uh, so similarly, when the mind has uh, known, is is awake and aware uh, of the quality of this present moment, there's real life. Uh, we we are, there is uh, true vitality. And uh, uh, as uh, Lumpur Sumedho is very fond of quoting, particularly in relationship to Amravati, um, it's kind of the Amravati national motto. <laughs> Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful never die. The heedless are as if dead already. This is a, a verse from the, from the Dhammapada, I think verse 21, if I remember correctly. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful never die. The heedless are as if dead already. So uh, when and when the Buddha said that, he didn't mean if you're mindful, your body will stay alive forever. But rather, uh, when there is uh, mindfulness, when the mind, uh, the heart is truly awake and aware, when there's true apamada, heedfulness, then the the heart is not tied to that which is born and dying. Uh, that that which is aware, that which knows, is is liberated from the. Uh, the realm of birth and death. It, it's not uh, entangled. There is the viveka, there's the disentangling, uh, the uh, viraga, the, the dispassion. The, the heart is not uh, stirred up about the comings and goings, the, the changes. It's not stirred up about the body or feelings or perceptions or moods. It's, uh, there, it, it's, it's cool. There is that uh, niroda, there is the, the, the solidity of Thoughts and feelings and opinions, memories, ideas, uh, uh, aspects of identity, they have ceased. They are, they're empty. They're seen as insubstantial. So with those, those being, uh, say, uh, uh, say, established and, and uh, that in the attitude, there is viveka, viraga, niroda. There is that disentangling, there's dispassion, there's the seeing of the, the, the cessation of things, the emptiness of things. Then that ripens in relinquishment. What's there to hold on to? Who is there to hold on to it? There's that vosaga, that abandonment. There's that 
freedom from those limitations of, of time and identity and uh, the what we call the wheel of birth and death. Oh, uh, if uh, if this is a, a useful practice uh, in a, uh, that I've been describing this way of bringing. Uh, Say mindfulness of breathing and an insight together, then please take that and use that. If you find that just confusing or not helpful, then please leave it aside. Don't don't uh, uh, assume just because I'm speaking about this from the from the Dhamma seat that it's something that everybody has to do or, or should do. But rather, it's just a, a particular upaya, skillful means that uh, that I found uh, helpful, and also it's a way of say, uh, understanding or, or uh, getting a feel for the sense of how uh, concentration and insight, how samadhi and uh, samatha and vipassana, concentration and calmness and vipassana, insight, how they relate to each other and, and can support each other, how they, they function together. Uh, another of the teachings that, uh, that comes to mind with, with respect to, to letting go and the emphasis on that uh, that uh, I feel is, see how, because mindfulness of breathing, often it can be like a thing that we're doing. We, we're picking up this practice. I'm doing this practice. And uh, I, I need to do more mindfulness of breathing. I've got to work harder at my mindfulness of breathing. And even though the, that we can approach that with sincerity and commitment, yeah, that's encouraged by the... Uh, by the the teachings, by the ajans, yeah, this is what <laughs> is what we're supposed to do. This is a good thing, and do more of it. So we can take that sincerity, and uh, I should be doing more of this mindfulness of breathing. I should give more more time and attention to it. I should try harder at it. I should uh, put more effort into it. That that demonstrates a, a profound sincerity and uh, say a very noble commitment to Dhamma practice, but the way in which we pick up a practice like mindfulness of breathing, that, that sincerity and that, say, uh, the, the attractiveness of, of practicing, uh, practicing the Dhamma, something that we know in our heart, that's a good thing to do, it's beautiful, it's noble, it's liberating. The way that it's picked up can uh, unconsciously create more obstacles and difficulties. If it's something that I've got to do, I should do more of this, I don't do enough of this, I haven't got good enough at this, I need to improve my skills with, with this. All of that eye-making and mind-making, all of that stuff I should be doing, I have to do, that sincerity and that good-heartedness, that, that noble intention is getting co-opted by the habits of self-view and conceit, the 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 uh, uh, ego, the the atta is hijacking, literally is you know, hijacking our our noble intentions, our, our sincerity, and, and our uh, the aspiration of the heart towards liberation. So, one of the things I, I find is helpful to bear in mind in terms of say, encouraging the development of mindfulness of breathing and these uh, concentration practices and uh, these particular forms or methods uh, of meditation is to bear in mind it, it ripens in relinquishment. <laughs> That's a, it, it's a, the, the, the whole basis of it or the, the, the fulfillment of this practice is in letting go, in, in non-grasping, in uh, and not putting it into the form of something I've got to do or that 
I should have more uh, concentration. I should have you know, less uh, distraction and and defilements. I need to get rid of the hindrances. I need to to uh, develop and get the factors of enlightenment. So to uh, to very consciously pick up this kind of practice and the work that we do in our meditation with an attitude based on on freedom from self view. And I, I say this over and over again, I bring this up in many Dhamma talks, because <laughs> it's such an, an insidious and uh, like an invisible, hard to, hard to see uh, problem. It's a, a, a habit of mind that's so strong and, and so hard to see, so easy to, to be drawn into it, that it's, it's really uh, important to, to bring attention to that, that... Uh, we can make sincere, heartful, and committed effort free from self-view. Uh, we don't have to frame the practice in something I should do, or the way I've got to be, or what I've got to get rid of. Uh, but to, first of all, notice how much eye-making and mind-making goes on around, say, the, the use of particular meditation techniques and practices that uh, we are committed to, to notice how much eye-making and mind-making, ahankara and mamankara is going on, to notice that, to feel the, the tensing, the stressing in the heart on account of that, and to very consciously let that go. And to instead uh, uh, develop the way of letting mindfulness and wisdom be the driving force, the guiding force for our practice. So that effort is not being based on what I've got to do, what I've got to get rid of, or what I've got to become, and, uh, and what I have to achieve, but rather recognizing here is the wholesome, let there be effort directed towards what is wholesome. Here is the unwholesome, let effort be directed towards letting go of what is unwholesome. None of that has to be based on self-view, on I or me or mine. So uh, uh, it's, it's not something that the mind can just decide, oh, I'll just practice based on, <laughs> on right view and all my efforts will be based on mindfulness and wisdom. No more self-view, no more conceit. I'll, I'll park that. <laughs> it's not just a matter of, uh, of the thinking mind making a decision. It's a training. It's a, a whole body training in, in many respects to, to really know that feeling of becoming, of I got to, I should, I've got to get rid of, I have to, uh, I have to say, destroy or annihilate these defilements. To get to know that, uh, that feeling, the eye-making and mind-making, to know that, to feel that, and to train the system to, to let go. And then when the, there are those moments where action and, uh, and practice uh, and effort is being made free from self-view, free of any kind of conceiving, notice what that's like. Notice how that feels. Notice the quality of that. Oh, there's a lot of effort being made, but it's not stressful. It's not burdensome. It's, it's joyful. It's delight. There's it a delight in it. Huh, look at that. Notice that. And again, it's not just an idea of that, but rather as a quality of feeling. It's like a whole, a whole body learning how when effort is being made free of self-view, free of conceit, when it's based on that abandonment, relinquishment, non-grasping, there's a quality of ease. Even as effort is being made, it's not stressful. It's like walking up a, a, a steep hill, walking up a mountain. Uh, effort is being made, 
but there isn't a me trying to get anywhere. There's not me trying to achieve anything. There's not me resenting the effort or waiting for it to be over or uh, investing in it or identifying in it in, in any way. Another of the teachings that uh, uh, is um, helpful in this respect, a different sutta in the middle-length discourses that uh, people have probably uh, uh, come across over time, is the, what's called the, the Shorter Discourse on the Destruction of Craving, uh, the Chula Tanha Sankhaya Sutta, Sutta 37. So the Mindfulness of Breathing is 118, Sutta 118. The this uh, other teaching that's particularly useful about letting go, non-grasping, uh, non is number th 37. And so, uh, and in this teaching, along with the Buddha praising mindfulness of breathing <laughs> as uh, being profoundly liberating and, and effective as a skillful means, the, um, in this sutta, uh, he, uh, he, he makes a very distinct uh, statement. He says, uh, Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. Sabhe dhamma nalang abhinivesaya. Nothing whatsoever should be, should be clung to or should be grasped at. Don't cling to anything. In brief in English. Yeah. Brief English statement. Don't cling to anything. It says, one who has heard this has heard everything. One who has uh, understood, one who, who has understood this has understood everything. One who has practiced this, has practiced everything. One who has realized this, has realized everything. And having realized it, then the, the, the heart fully knows things in terms of anicca. Seeing things, it fully knows that all things are impermanent. The realization that nothing is, uh, is worth grasping, and uh, nothing is worth holding on to, then uh, when that is fully realized, that leads to the full uh, appreciation of, of anicca, of uncertainty, of change. And then that is developed through viveka, viraga, uh, through, um, through dispassion, through, uh, through seeing cessation, and through relinquishment. Uh, again, the same, same words are used in describing the, the, the development of that. So this is, again is is not a, a, a an insignificant statement by the Buddha that if you know that nothing should be clung to, don't don't cling to anything. If you know that, you know everything. If you understand that, you understand everything. If you practice that, you practiced everything. If you realize that, you've realized everything. So he's saying this is all you need to know. <laughs> this is just this much. Just sabhe dhamma nalang abhinivesaya. So don't cling to anything. And uh, in the, the, the Four Noble Truths, uh, the, the way that the Buddha describes the, the way to work with that second noble truth, the cause of suffering, is to let go, pahata bandhi, let go, let go. That's, that's the, the way you get from the second noble truth, the cause of suffering, to the third noble truth, the ending of suffering. That's how you get from truth two to truth three, is let go. So in this uh, particular discourse, uh, to me, that's extraordinarily impactful. And Ajahn Buddhadasa, in his teachings, used to uh, stress this quite quite regularly and quote that sutta. So this is sums up the entire teaching of the Buddha just in these four words: Sabe Dhamma Nalang Abhinivesaya. Don't cling to anything. <laughs> that's the whole teaching. And so, what uh, is the challenge then? Is to see well, where are we? <laughs> 
where are we clinging? Where Where is the mind getting stuck? Because we can hear that uh, and say, okay, that's the important thing to know. If we know that, we know everything. If we can practice that, we practice everything. If we've realized that, we've realized everything. So, okay, so it's that's the whole... That's the whole program, the whole, the whole deal. That's the, that's that's everything hinges on that, and so we can understand that as a principle. But then the practicing of it and the realizing of it—that's, aye, there's the rub, as it says in one of Shakespeare's plays. Aye, there's the rub. That's that's the the big issue, because most of us, we, 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 certain areas we see that the mind is clinging and getting attached and identified, but other areas we don't realize there's any kind of clinging going on. We think it's normal reality or it's, it's uh, uh, just the way things are. Uh, and that the clinging, the identification is invisible, intangible. We, we have no idea it's there. It's like it doesn't register. So, so much of the practice, and I feel this is one of the areas where community life is is so helpful for us, is that living together, working together, um, uh, say, having the, the challenges of dealing with, uh, say, right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions of that, living with many other people and working together with people's different personalities, different abilities, different different moods and uh, you know, different... Uh, characteristics of various kinds the different uh, aspects of our of our routine yeah. all, all of that presents a, a big variety of situations uh, for us and uh, because of that variety we have many opportunities to see where those uh, areas of attachment are the various different kinds uh, of clinging and grasping that uh, he, uh, and so it's through that say uh, a wise reflection and observation seeing uh, where we get stuck using those many aspects of community life the work we do the people we live with the the routines that we have uh, the states of health and sickness comfort and discomfort that that we experience times of activity times of retreat consciously using that to notice <laughs> where the mind is getting attached, getting attached to sense pleasure or, or, or pain through the sensory, uh, the sensory uh, fields uh, of experience, getting attached uh, to opinions, ditu uh, padana, when people affirm the opinions you have, how happy and glad you feel, how much you like that person, when someone goes against your opinions or criticizes your opinions or makes fun of your opinions, how bad and wrong and you know, unpleasant they seem to be, how you can kind of condemn others because they've got a different opinion, um, how we get attached to conventions, you know, the the routines that we have, or how things should be, uh, and that the uh, the the silabat upadana, what they call the uh, attachment to to rules and conventions, forms that we we've always done things in a certain way, so that's the way it should be done. That's the right way to do it. Or, the conventions of Theravada Buddhism, or, or the you know, life in in uh, the United Kingdom, uh, the conventions of uh, say our our conversation and the uh, the relationships between between women and men, the senior and junior, the uh, lay people, monastic people, uh, monastic people, to uh, to be very conscious of where you get attached. What, uh, the way we judge each other, 
notices use use the, the the many facets and aspects of of living together working together to 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 see where those attachments are and where where we see them don't uh, don't be afraid to bring attention to that to and even when you notice that there's some really deep attachment that you hadn't realized was there uh to not just not shy away from that or not be embarrassed about that or feel guilty or pretend it's not there but to use the the practice and the encouragement of of the the teachings to consciously bring attention to that like oh my goodness <laughs> i really don't like that do i uh, I, that's exactly what I don't want to happen and, and here it is, it's like this so that by noticing these many and various areas of, of, of opinions of, uh, uh, of the uh, conventions that we use of sense pleasures uh, and pleasure and pain and then also uh, attachment to our own ego our, our own sense of identity the atavad upadana the the, the feelings of, of I and me and mine, just uh, noticing how, how solid that feeling of I am, I do, I feel, I have, I don't have, I wish I had, I used to have. Those feelings of ownership, the feelings of being, I am, I am happy, I am sad, I am lost, I am confused, I am in charge. All those I am's. The, the, the story of our life, how old we are, our gender, our, our name and, or names, the, the family members that we have, the, 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 the background that we come from, where we were born, place where we grew up, the, yeah, how solid that all seems, our parents, our siblings, uh, yeah, all of that, how much that seems to be real and true and solid. Look at that. See if you can look at your, your life as if you're looking at somebody else's life story. Why is my story so interesting? It's just a human life, just another story, big deal. <laughs> so, so what? <laughs> what, what, what makes... Uh, the, the story that each one of us has, so important, so substantial, so real, so significant. There isn't really anything there. Just like any of us who walk through a, a churchyard here in, in England, you can see the, the old gravestones and sometimes the, they're so old, uh, the, the, the lettering on the gravestones has, has worn away. You can make out, oh, is that an M or a, is, that, is that an S? Or oh, there's a few letters have gone there. Just look at your own life like a, a, a weathered gravestone. Just a few little fragments, a few marks on a bit of stone. It's home for the lichens and the moss and the, a landing place for a blackbird. Good enough. <laughs> Just a life, no big thing. Don't have to make a, a big deal out of it. And probably as I say those words, for some of us, it's, ah, don't say that. It's my life. It's important. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> It's, it's me. Look at that. Look at that. What is it that, that rejects that or, or recoils from that, that says, it's more than that. Um, but uh, if we play with those ideas or, or, or raise those suggestions to ourselves, ask those questions. Why? 
that the 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 gravestone that's marking that person's life when that person was alive they felt just as real and as solid and and as important as as this person standing here looking at the gravestone didn't they probably almost certainly so can we look at our own life with that same kind of of ease and coolness dispassion and and the mysterious thing is that when we let go when there is that abandonment that that vosaga that real profound non-entanglement non-engagement non uh non-grasping then we're able to use the conditions of this life our personality our, our skills our abilities our inabilities <laughs> we're able to use the the aspects of, of our life our body our mind our living situation uh we're able to use them far more effectively, at least that's how I find it to be. So it's a strange chemistry, how it works, that the more you let go of yourself, the more you can completely be yourself. <laughs> the more the more that you are not worried about uh, how well you are doing at something, the better, the better that you can do it. <laughs> Almost always, and for, for most people, I would say that's true. Yeah. That uh, by letting go of the world, you find that the, this life is able to engage more fully and completely and, and harmoniously, more effectively with the world. If we're grasping the world, if there's a, a me holding on and, and existing in relationship to the world, then things are often getting out of whack, out of balance, out of out of kilter. But in in this, I feel is really the the way of the Buddha, the middle way itself is and is embodied in the buddha's life the buddha's uh, the buddha's uh, approach and attitude he completely let go of the world transcended the world but yet lived completely attuned to and, and thoughtfully engaged and incredibly effectively engaged with the world but was completely unburdened by it he loved the world so much he let go of it completely and was an in, uh, incredible source of, of blessings for the world that he had let go of <laughs> So that it's a mysterious chemistry how that works, but we can see that we can explore that in, in our in our own lives. So this uh, uh, this quality of of letting go of seeing that you know, nothing should be grasped at or clung to, just to to take that to 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 use that as like a lamp, like this sort of bright light shining <laughs> to illuminate the the the, the video uh, filming. To, it's like a bright light shine that into the different corners of your your daily life the the inner world the outer world uh, your uh, your meditation practice your relationships with other people uh, the the world around you just shine that light into those corners and see wherever that clinging is that's the place to let go and when the letting go has happened how does it feel what's the, what's the the quality of of experience when the the clinging stops when there is that uh, and as the buddha says when that when that that realization comes about when there is that true appreciation that that ripens in full knowledge and deliverance it, it uh, in in the uh, kitagiri sutta um, the buddha says that uh, such a one uh, realizes nibbana in the body that uh, right, right in the body, that ultimate truth is realized in the body. It uses that that kind of terminology. It's right here, in the, embodied in this life, <laughs> our life. <laughs> there is uh, that great, that great peace, that great freedom, uh, and uh, 
the more that those areas of clinging can be recognized, then uh, the the more they can be let go of, and that that great peace can be something that is uh, is known, is realized uh, fully and continually without uh, without limitation, without interruption. So I offer these words for consideration this evening.